Welcome to this bonus episode of Tales from Insurance Land. I'm calling it Tales from Insurance Land, the latest chapter. My name is Michael Young, by the way. I'm an insurance coverage and extra contractual lawyer in St. Louis, Missouri. In the last episode of the podcast, I covered the history of the famous Stowers decision from Texas and its impact on insurance law around the country. The reception to the episode was so good that I thought it would be helpful to do a bonus episode on what the Stowers decision means in Texas today, the latest chapter of Stowers, if you will. And so I decided to interview a Texas insurance coverage and defense lawyer, Katherine Anderson, who really understands the ins and outs of that doctrine. Here is that interview. Well, I am very uh, happy to be joined today uh, with Katherine Anderson as of February 1st, 2024, Catherine uh, will be a member of KPA Law, and she's here today to discuss the uh, Stowers, Stowers, I can't say it, Catherine, uh, case that we've been talking about here on the podcast. So before we get going, Catherine, do you want to uh, sh- you know, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. And it's Stowers, so that everybody knows. Um, so my name's Catherine Anderson. I am was born in Texas, have lived here most of my life. I've been a practicing attorney in the exclusively in the insurance realm for 23 years now. I opened my firm um, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, we do the firm is has offices in Dallas, Houston, McAllen, and San Antonio. Uh, do a mix of insurance, defense, third party work, and I do first party coverage and extra contractual. Awesome. Well, thanks you. Uh, thank you for being here with us. I thought it would be good to have an actual Texas lawyer talk about a Texas case. And uh, obviously, we're here to chat about Stowers. And c- can you give us uh, sort of from your perspective what the general holding in that case was? And is, you know, it's an old case from the 1920s. Is that doctrine, you know, set forth in that case? Is that still relevant uh, in Texas today? Stowers is alive and well, and it kind of it impacts, you know, insurance defense lawyers all the time, every day. The general holding, like if you're going to boil it down to the most simple holding from that case back in the, you know, early 19th century, 19th century, um, it's that you can't gamble with your insurance money. So that underlying case, you know, they could have settled it within $1,000 of the policy limits, but they didn't want to because they thought they could get a better deal. They went to trial and lost. Um, more than the policy limits and then refused to pay it. And so that's when the Texas court said an insurance company has an obligation to its insured to act reasonably with regard to opportunities to settle. So if you have an opportunity to settle within the policy limits and a reasonable insurance carrier would and you don't, then the carrier can be liable for any excess judgment. Now, over the years, that doctrine, and it's still this, it's still called Stowers, and people will put it in letters all the time. They'll call any demand a Stowers demand, and it may or may not be. Um, the, but the doctrine has evolved, and there have been added elements to it along the way. But the general holding is you should take care of your policyholder, and if you can settle their case without putting them at excess exposure, then you should. Well, Catherine, you mentioned that not all demands are actually Stowers demands. Well, what are the requirements for a Stowers demand? So it has to be within, it has to be a covered claim. So it has to be within the scope of coverage. It has to be within the policy limits and it has to be unconditional, although that doesn't really mean unconditional, and it has to um, offer a full release. So 
you know, the unconditional language is in all of the opinions, but what we see regularly are timed demands. And a time demand is a condition, but the courts have held that that's fine. You can have it timed as long as it's a reasonable time. Now, reasonable, you know, varies daily. And so what's reasonable pre-lit might be a longer period of time than what's reasonable the day before trial. So reasonable can change throughout the course of the litigation or the claim, life of the claim, and there's no one size fits all in what's reasonable and unreasonable on your time limit. But they do have to, so if there are liens, they, that was one of the changes. The demand has to offer to release any liens. And so if there are liens and it doesn't offer a release of those liens, then it wouldn't be a valid Sowers demand. You know, I was really interested in this case because you see it cited, you know, uh, in decisions in so many different states. You, you know, from your perspective, how has uh, Stowers affected the way that insurance companies handle liability claims down in Texas? On your smaller policies, your personal line policies that are, you know, our, our lowest limits are 30, but you see, you know, 50, 100s, you know, even 100, 300s. Anybody that tries enough cases knows that anything can go wrong at the courthouse. So you may have it evaluated under the limits, but when they're asking their defense counsel, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. The worst that can happen, lots of bad things can happen. And so that idea that any case could be in excess when you have lower limits kind of puts everybody on guard because the defense attorney doesn't want to have to answer to their insured client that, yeah, we could have settled this, but I, I told the carrier case was worth less or the plaintiff's case was worth less. And the carrier doesn't want to be involved in a second round of litigation that opens them up to all the extra contractual discovery that insurers hate. So it puts a lot of settlement pressure on cases that have lower limits with potentially high damage exposures. Yeah, I, I can certainly see when the demand is made that that can put a lot of pressure on the insurance company. So I, I guess with that in mind, what are some things in your view that carriers could do to sort of prepare for those demands before they're even made? So there's several things they can do, and part of it depends on the scope of the claim um, and the parties you're you're dealing with. So um, one thing is you need constant and good communication with your policyholder if you can get it. Uh, the case law says that you know it's it's the insured's cause of action. The Stowers claim is their cause of action. It's not the third party um, claimants. So if the insured believes that the insurance company handled their claim properly and they agreed with the settlement decisions made, there's no claim to turn over to the third party. And so there would be no Stowers or extra contractual liability. So if you have that good communication with your policyholder and you're like, you tell them we have this demand in, but we're concerned that if we pay this, it could leave you exposed in these other ways. And they agree with you and they say, yeah, please don't pay that. Then that really insulates the carrier. So frequent communication with your policyholder is your best friend in dealing with these. The other thing that I think is really helpful for insurers is to kind of know the scope of their claim. Texas, in addition to Stowers, we have what's called Soriano, which is kind of goes with it. And it's for those claims that are, there's more claims and higher value than there are in limits. And so the carriers always want to know, what do we do? How do we settle some, but not all? And so there's a case called Soriano in Texas, which says that 
an insurance company can settle some, but not others, as long as those settlements are reasonable. And it uses the example of first in time in that case. It doesn't say you have to do it that way, but it gives the carriers that option. So if if you know you have a 18 vehicle accident and you have the $30,000 policy limits, you might want to be proactive and send your claimants a letter that says, hey, we've only got this much money. We're going to be handling these on a first come, first serve basis. And you put it out there and you just get proactive. The other thing I would kind of highly recommend to all carriers is that they have some kind of backup procedure in place for when their adjusters go out on vacation or have a death in the family or or anything like that because some of the worst like missed sours I've seen is because nobody covered their desk. They were out for a you know family member funeral or something for two weeks and the demand came in and it had a time deadline and nobody even saw it. So along that lines, always respond to the demand, even if it is no, I'm not going to pay you or we need this other information. Don't don't let it get past you without giving some kind of response. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a Texas lawyer, but I play one on a podcast. Actually, I don't. State of Texas, please don't come after me. I'm not I'm not practicing <laughs> law in Texas. Um, but but I, can, I, I agree with you so much on the communication piece. That is really key in these cases is keeping up that communication, you know, with the insured. Um, OK. And, and, and by the way, uh, Catherine mentioned the Soriano case. We'll put a link to that and the Stowers case in the show notes in the citation so people can you know, check that out later if they like. Uh, so, OK, now we've been preparing for the demand. Now the demand has been made. We, we think it's probably a Stowers demand. You know, what are some key things that insurance companies need to consider you know, as they're responding to these demands? Um, they need to. Well, I, what I would discourage insurance company from insurance companies from doing is kind of making that call, like whether or not it's valid stowers. Like you need to evaluate your demand on whether or not it, you know that claim is owed at something around that amount, right? So don't go into it and be like, okay, well, we can deny this because it didn't offer to release the lien, therefore it's not a stowers. Each, I mean, you, each claim should be evaluated on its merits and this either is worth this amount of money or something close to it, right? You negotiate or it's not, but it shouldn't be, we're not gonna pay it because it doesn't have the magic language. It's a fluid doctrine and you never know what the next batch of judges are gonna say. And so you don't wanna be the carrier that gets caught thinking you know what the doctrine says and missing a demand. So, you know, aside from that, read the fine prints in, in the Stowers demand letter um, or the time limit demand, however you want to call it. But there are um, a number of lawyers in Texas, particularly in Houston, where I practice, um, that have a lot of like unique conditions. Like you can only accept by doing this. Mm -hmm. And so if you just read the amount and the date, because we know everybody's got too much work, right? You have a too many files and, and too many deadlines. So you just kind of look for those highlights. How much are the meds? What are my limits? How about are the injuries? When's my deadline? That's not enough sometimes because they'll have specific requirements like the check must be in my office by that date in order to accept. So sometimes they go wrong because you don't meet the exact requirements of the acceptance within the letter. You know, one of the things that really interested me 
about this case and in the doctrine is, you know, I'm from Missouri and we are a, a bad faith state, or at least we are on paper. But when you read the Stowers decision and some of the commentary about it, you, you know, it, it seems more like a negligence standard. Um, it, you know, do you sort of see it that way? And, and, and if so, is it a difficult standard to meet or, or, or not? So the, the decision to settle is negligence, whether a reasonable carrier would have paid that demand. Um, so that is a negligence, but you have to go through a lot of hoops before you get to that inquiry. So first, there has to be a covered claim with a demand within limits, um, and they have to get a judgment for that, a judgment based on an actual adversarial proceeding. So they have to go through that whole process. There has to be an accident. The claim has to not be paid. It has to go to trial. The verdict has to be in excess of the limits. And then you get to start over with lawsuit number two, which is your Stowers case, where the court sees, goes and looks and, and determines, did the demand meet the technical elements? Was the demand within policy limits? Maybe they asked for the full limits and there had been a settlement already, and so there were less than full limits left. Maybe there were liens that weren't offered to be released. You know, who knows whether it meets the technical elements, like one of the legs of the table's missing, so it's not a table. Then you get to what would a reasonable insurance company do? And that is your negligence standards. So they have to act like a reasonable insurer, um, and that's going to be a fact by fact. So once you get to that point, those cases tend to settle. And so while there are Stowers appellate decisions out of our jurisdiction, it's not as rich of a body of case law because most most of them don't go that far. They get settled before um, in some way or another. Got it. Well, and I know when you were introducing yourself, you indicated uh you know, you're a coverage lawyer, and I know you're a very experienced coverage lawyer. But in addition to that, you know, you defend liability cases as well on behalf of insurance. Uh, how has Stowers affected the way that defense counsel sort of defend and handle liability claims in Texas? So you have to be cognizant of who your client is as as defense counsel on a third-party liability. Your client is the policyholder. And so a lot of carriers will ask their defense counsel, their third-party liability defense counsel, hey, is this a good Stowers? Hey, should we pay this demand? And you, you have to be really careful as defense counsel how you answer those questions. I mean, it's a, it's a team relationship. We're all trying to pay what they owe and not more, but you're protecting your your client, which is the policyholder. And so it's in your client's best interest for it to be a valid Stowers. That way they don't have excess exposure. And so it, you can't put yourself in a position where you're giving the insurance company advice on whether or not it's a good Stowers or a bad Stowers and whether or not they should pay it. All you can really do at that point is kind of give them the information about here's our strong points in this case, here's our weak points, here's where I see the value between this range. And then at the end of the day, it's the carrier's money, and they're the ones that are going to make the call. You just have to give them the best information you can so that they can make the best decisions. Well, I, I think, Catherine, this has been a, a great discussion and you've broken down a lot of this stuff. And I think this is really helpful, uh, particularly for the insurance company folks out there who may be listening to this. You, you know, if, if there was one main thing, you know, big issue or whatever that you, you think insurance companies should take away uh, fr from Stowers, you know, in your mind, what would that be? 
if there's one thing they take away, it's communicate with your policyholder. If you let them know this demand has been made and give them an opportunity to weigh in, that 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 makes can make or break the claim um, on the Stour side, their communication, their involvement. So one thing, keep in touch with your policyholder. Awesome, awesome. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us here on the uh, on the podcast. If people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? So my email address, um, that works now, but effective February first, is k anderson at kpalawfirm.com. And awesome. then our office then- phone number is two eight one eight nine five nine eight zero zero. Awesome. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you, Michael. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of Tales from Insurance Land, what I call the latest chapter. The next full episode of Tales from Insurance Land will be released on Thursday, February 1st. What will that one be about? Well, it might have a little something to do with ice cream. You can access all these episodes learn how to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and read bonus content about the episodes at talesfrominsuranceland.com. That's talesfrominsuranceland.com. Thank you for listening.